The El Conservador Radio Show is sponsored by George Rodriguez on 9.30 a.m. The Answer. Time for the El Conservador Radio Show with George Rodriguez. George is a constitutional conservative who loves to expose fake news and liberals. Be a part of the show. Call 210-308-8867. And now, El Conservador, George Rodriguez. Good afternoon, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on this uh, Saturday, January 18, 2020. Uh, on KLUP 930 AM radio, the answer. And went, uh, I, first of all, I've got to apologize uh, with the high amount of pollen <clears throat> in the air these past two weeks. Um, the uh, sinuses took their toll on me. And uh, I am sounding a little hoarse, uh, you know, winnie nay. <laughs> uh, I'm sounding, I'm sounding a, a little bit uh, raspy. So please forgive me on that aspect of it. At any rate... Um, welcome to the show, my friends. Uh, good afternoon. Good afternoon. Uh, we've got a very, very good program for you, as usual. We've got Mr. Um, Lou Alosky, uh, who is with the uh, Immigration Reform Law Institute. And uh, Lou's going to be chatting with us about um, the uh, lawsuits that uh, have been flying against the um, Trump administration over the effort to uh, control who comes into the United States, whether or not they are going to be welfare recipients uh, or uh public charges, as they are called, or not. And he's going to give us uh, uh, some legal information on that, as well as uh, some historical facts on it. Um, also, we've got, and I, I think this is going to be really, really interesting for you. Those of you who are very, very uh, in, involved in the uh, Save the Texas uh, Cenotaph, the Alamo Cenotaph, should I say, Save the Alamo Cenotaph, uh, the big monument in front of the Alamo, as well as... Uh, uh, who care about uh, how the the story of the Alamo is being told. Um, we've got a very special guest with us, Mr. Um, John Griffin, who is, um, Griffin is a, is a freelance writer who's worked with Tucker Carlson at Fox News, as well as uh, on the Daily Caller, very, very reputable young man. He is a, um, a, uh, a, a an investigative journalist, so to speak. And uh, he's he's dug up some very, inf- very interesting information regarding the contract, uh, as well as other information on um, the contract and other information to move the cenotaph, um, the uh, whole process, and how it's gone down, particularly as it is connected to George P. Bush. Very, very interesting. You're going to want to listen to this, my friends. It is mind-boggling. It is, uh, in my opinion, it blows. It, it blows a lot of um, of windows off of the. Uh, uh, Bush train, so to speak. So uh, I, I hope that you will tell your friends. Uh, he's going to be on, on our, our, our second guest. I hope you call your friends and tell them to turn it, tune in and listen to him. Finally, we've got Mr. Art Del Cueto. Art is a Border Patrol agent and union leader in the Border Patrol. And Art is going to be chatting with us. There was another interesting article this past uh, week uh, regarding Hispanic Border Patrol agents and ICE agents. And uh, how, is, how there is an effort uh, over in the East Coast, uh, among the East Coast liberals, of course, there is an effort to uh, persuade Hispanics that are serving in the Border Patrol and in ICE to leave the uh, agency, to change their career, uh, which I find completely and totally offensive. Um, we're going to chat with, with Art about that. There's also, of course, the effort to 
anybody who is Hispanic uh, and working for the uh, Border Patrol or, or INS, uh, a very, very public effort, in my opinion, to um, uh, look at their character, to question their character, to uh, smear them in some form or fashion. And uh, Art's going to be chatting with us about, uh, about that. He is uh, of Hispanic descent. And he is a high-ranking uh, uh, border patrol agent. So uh, we're going to, you know, again, I encourage you to listen to tune in to that. To that. In the meantime, let's talk about uh, uh, some uh, immigration news. And I think that the biggest immigration news that we've had here in Texas uh, is the uh, refusal by uh, Governor Abbott to uh, Governor G- Greg Abbott to uh, accept. Uh, more uh, refugees through the federal resettlement program. The federal government has a program by which they resettle refugees into uh, states. They offer them to states, and states uh, say yes or no. Or at least that's the policy, that's the approach that the President Trump took, that he would offer it to the states, and the states determine whether or not they're going to take refugees. Texas was one of the few, uh, and I mean few, there was only about eight or ten of them that said no, but Texas was one of them. Texas said very, very, you know, honestly, we've got, uh, we've got to take care of homelessness. We've got to take care of, uh, of uh, a flood of illegal aliens that it's already here. We've got to take care of our own uh, problems right now, and right now this is not a good time to have guests, so to speak. Um, of course, the uh, left had an absolute meltdown over that. I mean, the, there was a group of bishops... Uh, you know, and I love these activist uh, religious people from the left because I would like to see some more religious people from the right speak up uh, more forcefully uh, on issues other than just abortion. Hint, hint. So uh, there, these leftist bishops just had a, a, a hissy fit, uh, saying that it's not Christian to to allow uh, to uh, bring in refugees. You know, what's Christian about some a state? or a family, or a household uh, wanting to take care of its own first and, uh, and guests second. You know, what, what's, what's, what's not Christian about that? Please explain it to me. At any rate, um, in my opinion, the state of Texas has done a lot, a lot for refugees, uh, for aliens, for foreigners uh, to resettle in the state. I mean, uh, during 19, from 1910 to 1920, there were millions of uh, Mexicans fleeing the Mexican Revolution that uh, settled in Texas. And uh, as, as recent as 2015, uh, the statistics showed uh, that uh, there's that uh, 4.7 million residents uh, of the uh, state uh, have a connection to, an, illegal, to, a, to an, a, a, an immigrant relative, to an immigrant parent or an immigrant uh, brother, sister, somebody. Uh, I mean, that's, that's a lot of people, 4.7 million. Uh, we've got to remember that uh, also the DACA recipients. There's over a hundred. Uh, there, there's um, over a hundred thousand uh, of them that live here in the in, in in the state who receive all sorts of uh, benefits. Well, this uh, this approach that uh, the pre- that the uh, governor Governor Abbott uh, uh, announced apparently just well, it's obvious that it did not last very very long. Almost uh, immediately, a couple of days later. A judge blocked um, blocked uh, the uh, the Trump order uh, to allow the states to make the decision on refugee resettlement. Uh, an activist judge, a Clinton appointee, uh, out of uh, Baltimore, out of uh, uh, Maryland, 
uh, he decided that um, the states did not have the veto power, that it was the federal government who makes the decision, and that's the bottom line. Talk about a blow to uh, against uh, state rights. I mean, this is, this is so blatant. It's not even funny. Here, a federal judge says that the states cannot determine who moves into their community and that the, um, and that the federal government has the right to tell the states who's going to resettle in your state or not. Picture that. I mean, look, think of the long-term consequences of that, my friends. Literally, the federal government could eventually tell the states who can live in your, in your uh, community, in your state, and who cannot. I mean, that is the far-reaching, uh, the, the very, very far-reaching uh, aspect of this, of this uh, ruling. Uh, it, it's incredible, my friends. I, 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 we've got to understand that this flies in the, ha- in the face of uh, consti- the constitutional rights of the state, and it certainly uh, it, 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 it tells you that you don't have a right as to who lives in your neighborhood. I mean, that's the bottom line. So uh, we're going to go ahead and take a break, and we will be back with our first guest. But thank you for joining us, my friends. Call your friends. Tell them to join us uh, on our program. Once again, this is George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. Conservador listeners, if you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you're interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador, thank Thank you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Once again, my friends, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer, here in San Antonio. And we've got one of our good friends that's uh, become a regular. I'm hoping that I can keep him, keep him uh, coming on our show. But Mr. Lou Olowski. And Lou works with the uh, Immigration Reform Law Institute in Washington, D.C. And I wanted to reach out to him because they have filed a brief, uh, or they're working on a case, they, uh, that uh, deals with I- immigrants, illegal and otherwise, who are coming in and, uh, and uh, their impact on the economy, on, uh, on, on uh, uh, whether they are on welfare, whether they are competing for jobs, uh, I wanted him to come come on and, and talk to us about the various things that they're working on, including the uh, that that case. So, Lou, thank you for coming on the show. Tell us tell us about uh, about this court case and 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 the other stuff that you've been uh, finding and 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 researching on and reading about. Thanks, uh, thanks for calling me a friend and for inviting us back on the show. It's always a pleasure to come talk to your uh, listeners about what's going on here in D.C. with these high-profile immigration cases. And the case you're referring to is actually several simultaneous cases happening all across the country. And that's part of the issue here. We're oftentimes up against these uh, groups that will make these politically motivated lawsuits spring up all over the place trying to cherry-pick the most liberal judges to go along with what these uh, lawyers want when they're fighting against attempts to enforce immigration law. 
Now, the immigration law in this case is called the public charge rule, and this is actually one of the first rules of immigration law in the United States, which says that if a person is going to become uh, a charge upon the public, someone, for example, dependent on welfare programs, then the United States should not admit them. And the rule is literally older than the United States. Uh, the first pilgrims who came in the 17th century, they themselves set up a rule that they would exclude people who would depend on the colony for support for the simple reason that back in those days, the colony couldn't survive unless everybody was a productive member of their society. So then when the United States finally formed uh, its own independent government after the American Revolution and we ratified our own constitution, one of the first immigration laws that we put on the books as a country was the public charge rule. And over the years, it's uh, been clarified here and there by Congress, but recently the Trump administration instituted a formula that they would apply when deciding whether a person is likely to become a public charge dependent on the government. And the formula was that if a person has used at least 12 months of various public benefits within the last three years, then that person should not be eligible for a visa to either remain in the country or to enter the country. And there were a number of exceptions to this rule. There were certain public benefits that, that don't apply. Um, but, but generally, housing assistance, cash welfare, these kinds of things were ruled to be factors that the government would consider in its formula. And so instantly, uh, left-wing lawyers sprang up in various parts of the country, in New York, in California, in Chicago, uh, here in the D.C. area, and they ran to federal court trying to stop this rule from getting implemented. And unfortunately, judges in these various courts approved these left-wing lawyers' arguments, and they issued injunctions preventing the Trump administration from implementing this rule. On the upside, however, the arguments against the Trump administration are pretty weak, and we came in to submit briefs explaining why the rule is legitimate and enforceable and why the appeals courts should reverse these injunctions and allow the Trump administration to proceed with its interpretation of the public charge rule. Now, you know, it's very, very interesting. First of all, you talk about how these people... Uh, these uh, attorneys run around uh, shopping for, for judges. But at what point uh, in time, I mean, what cases uh, were heard that suddenly uh, we as a nation started taking in the poorest of the poor, it seemed like, and, uh, and, and you know, not saying too much about it? When did that happen? Or how did that happen? That's an interesting question. You know what? It, 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 in hindsight, at, at generations of immigrants to this country, it did not happen because the argument that left-wing people make in favor of admitting uh, aliens into this country is that immigration makes America great. Well, to the extent that's true, it's true because generation after generation, we've admitted immigrants who are not dependent on public benefits programs. And we've admitted people who, generation after generation, were hardworking people and helped build up these great cities that we have like Chicago and New York. And the reason we have traditionally been admitting people who strengthen this country is specifically because of rules like this one uh, that would that would act as a filter to make sure that we're bringing in the, the, the best um, candidates from, from around the world. 
Let me, let so, me... so it's ironic when these people uh, all of a sudden are defending the idea that there is some kind of right yeah, the... for people to come into this country and exploit public programs that should go first and foremost to U.S. citizens. Yeah, one, one, a very interesting situation regarding that uh, occurred to me uh, a couple of weeks ago where somebody was arguing with me that we let the German scientists in who were Nazis, and now we're not allowing children from El Salvador. And, and you know, I'm not sure that a child from, Salvador, from El Salvador would compare to Werner von Braun and his ability to uh, serve uh, the United States. I'm not sure. Well, you know, interestingly, the United States uh, immigration laws, I think, still expressly have on the books a prohibition on Nazis and communists. And President Trump, actually, when he came into uh, office, uh, I think there was a case where he had uh, expelled from the United States a very old former Nazi so that he could uh, face the consequences in perhaps Israel or some other uh, foreign court. I don't remember the details, but that power to exclude people who we find uh, offensive or against our national interest politically is the exact same kind of power that President Trump has tried to apply in anti-terrorism context and that the left has tried to sue and stop that as well. Um, so at the end of the day, what they're arguing against is the national sovereignty of the United States, and that simply doesn't work. And with respect to those um, scientists uh, from uh, from Nazi Germany that the United States admitted after the uh, after World War II, it was in spite of the fact that they were really bad people, and it was conditional on the fact that they brought valuable intelligence to the United States that, that helped us develop our weapons programs. And it's not something that that um, that people are, are, are proud of in the sense of uh, we were glad to bring Nazis into this country because, indeed, our own immigration laws were changed to prohibit that from happening. Um, but again the fight that the left is, is mounting is specifically against these kinds of laws on principle, even though the operation of these laws strengthens our country and makes sure that we're bringing in the best uh, immigrants to, to help us do that. So to answer your question about when did this start going haywire, one moment is in 1996, Congress passed the Welfare Reform Act that strengthened the public charge rule and reaffirmed the idea that the United States was not going to bring in people who are dependent on public programs. But then the Clinton administration saw a lot of blowback from left-wing groups that didn't like this kind of exclusion. So the Clinton administration proposed a rule that they never actually implemented. They proposed the rule, a guideline, that, um, that would only apply this exclusion if these aliens were primarily dependent on cash assistance. And it exempted from any consideration at all whether the person would be dependent on certain non-cash uh, assistance, like like Medicaid, um, and that didn't that didn't ever actually even become a final administrative rule, let alone a rule passed by Congress. But that's how our immigration authorities ended up implementing the law. They did so under George W. Bush, continuing to over-admit people in spite of Congress's rule that we should not be admitting people who are uh, going to be public charges on our public benefits programs. And then ironically, President Obama, on the one hand, kept up this uh, pseudo rule and kept over allowing people in while publicly saying things such as that Obamacare would not uh, cover illegal immigrants, right? That was President Obama's own words, is that that, that these public programs would not, uh, the, the Affordable Care Act would not extend to illegal immigrants. And yet in practice, they were still following this guideline 
that the Clinton administration made up and never even finalized as a rule. So President Trump took this idea of a formula for judging whether someone would be likely to be a public charge and submitted it for public notice and comment. So thousands and thousands of people across the country were then able to chime in on what they think the rule should be, uh, whether they're for it, whether they're against it. And sure enough, the Trump administration received thousands of comments against the rule, thousands of criticisms on why it should not devise uh, the formula in a certain way. And when they finished the notice and comment period and they lawfully published the new rule, they actually included an explanation addressing each of these objections, uh, these categories of objections to the rule. And so they went through what's called the administrative rulemaking process to create a legitimate interpretation of Congress's statute. So they gave more care to the rule of law than uh, previous administrations did. And sure enough, the day it was published, these left-wing groups sued over it. And sadly, some of the courts have actually deferred to the Clinton administration's guideline, which doesn't even purport to be a final administrative rulemaking, but just a tentative guideline. They actually (laughs) defer to that instead of deferring to what we have right now, which is more current and more thorough and more legitimate in terms of how a presidential administration is supposed to go about making rules to interpret Congress's statutes. <laughs> Amazing. My gosh. Uh, here in the closing minutes, then, what do you think will, will be the end result of this uh, situation, the, this, the, 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 the filing of this, of this case and, and the future of, uh, of, of immigration for people who, uh, can, who will benefit uh, the, the, our, our society and our nation? Well, I think that because the administration's interpretation of the rule fits so squarely with uh, Congress's statutes on the subject, and because presidential administrations generally have a lot of latitude on how to interpret Congress's statutes, I think that on appeal, the appeals court will reverse these injunctions and allow the administration to proceed with enforcing the rule. And another reason why I think that'll happen is because I think plaintiffs have really shot themselves in the foot by putting forth some ridiculous arguments and having the lower courts actually go along with some of the worst of these arguments in a very cringeworthy way that would make an appeal make it easy for an appeals court to disagree. So, for example, one instance that struck me in particular was a judge had looked at the fact that the Trump administration would, among its various factors, consider... Um, an alien's education and skills because Congress said you must consider an alien's educational and skills. And one of the education and skills that the Trump administration said it would consider was English proficiency. And they even had data explaining how proficiency in English correlates with a person's ability to earn income in this country. And the judge actually said it was offensive to suggest that this should be a relevant consideration. Amazing. And to everybody else in the country... It's obvious. It's, you don't have to be a lawyer to get this. In fact, maybe if you're a lawyer, that's, that's how it's necessary to not get this. But it's obvious to everyone that if you speak English, literally everything you might want to do in the United States is easier for you. And you know, it, the court seems to have even lost sight of the fact that its own decision was published in English. All the briefing, all the papers were published in English. Of course, it's possible for a person to succeed in spite of not being able to speak English. Like people in my own family, for instance, uh, have, have encountered some of this. Uh, difficulty, but obviously they are succeeding in spite of it, and obviously they would be better off if they spoke English, and obviously if you do speak English, it is likelier that you'll be able to make a living for yourself in an English-speaking country such as the United States. And so when courts go that far out on a limb, 
I think they really make themselves vulnerable to the enforcement of these rules. And to finally answer your question, what would this mean in the long term? In the long term, it would make everybody better off because immigrants who want to stay in this country would take greater care that they don't exploit public benefits programs, and the result is that they would more quickly achieve financial independence and strengthen our economy um, in order to stay here and not get uh, deported, and to the extent fewer aliens than use welfare programs, this means that there would be more financial resources available to uh, low-income Americans and Americans in need who, uh, for whom these programs were, were designed. So in the long run, I think the enforcement of the public charge rule would make both immigrants and um, citizens better off. Excellent. All right, buddy, tell, uh, tell, tell the folks how they can follow uh, uh, your, uh, your writings and your organization, where they can find more about it. Well, the easiest place to do that would be IRLI.org. That's Immigration Reform Law Institute, early, IRLI.org. And over there we post updates about what's going on in, in court. We share articles uh, that we've published in, in various papers and whatnot. And um, on the other hand, if you also follow the court system, and you follow some of these uh, immigration cases yourself, then you might see our names pop up on various briefs around the country where we chime in to explain the pro-enforcement position in a lot of these issues. Excellent. Thank you very, very much. And you can also go to, the, to, that, to that page and, and, uh, and uh, donate and support early. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the second most uh, popular time of year for giving is actually January, right after the, the holidays. So um, maybe when people start thinking about their... Uh, charitable contributions and whatnot in a couple months when they're filing their taxes, and they might think back on our group because we are a 501c3 nonprofit. Thank you very, very much for, for being with us today, Lou, and uh, we'll be sure to get you back on. Thanks for the introduction and for you know, caring about these, uh, these issues. You got it, buddy. Have a good one. Take care. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, KLUP 930 AM Radio. Howdy, howdy, howdy. Welcome again, my friends. George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you from San Antonio on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And uh, we've got uh, a very special guest, uh, Mr. John Griffin, who is an investigative journalist originally from here from Texas. He's come back to Texas. And he just wrote a great article, which I think is very, very timely and very important to us, particularly here in San Antonio that are fighting the battle uh, the new battle for the Alamo. And uh, I wanted to uh, get him on and chat about the article. So, John, welcome to the show. Thank you for taking time to be with us. Uh, George, it's a pleasure. I sure appreciate you having me on. Oh, man. Tell me, tell me, uh, uh, how did you end up coming back or, or, or writing this article now that you're back in Texas? Well, I, it's funny you should ask that. I worked uh, at the Daily Caller as an editor uh, most recently, uh, folks, for uh, Tucker Carlson. And, uh, you know, because I was pretty good at my job and he had moved on to Fox, and I wrote some uh, some things about the uh, the Bushes, case in point, I was sent packing. <laughs> so now I'm back in Texas doing the same thing here, investigative journalism, and I'm shocked to see in my home state that we're, we have this battle on our hands for for something I never thought I'd see, which is a fight for the Alamo, a fight for its legacy. Who, go figure, right, in Texas. So I had to, I had to get to the bottom of it, uh, George, and I, I, just started, uh, I just started reading the tea leaves, getting, getting access to some contacts here in Austin, 
finding out why someone who's not even a native Texan who was just born here, lived in Florida all his life, would want to go to this length to try to remove this monument to the Alamo. What would motivate someone to do that? So that's what the article's about. It's about the corruption behind that surface story. And the real story being, it's not about the monument. So that's what should offend Texans, is that this isn't even about the monument for Bush. It's just a, a, a political misdirection tool. So what are your conclusions? What have you found uh, in, in your investigative journalism? Well, and, and uh, your uh, listeners, I'm sure, uh, can get access to the article. as you, You'll probably send it, send it out. But in the article, um, what, I, what I determined to be the case here is that, uh, is that Bush is, is in over his head. He's had a, uh, a number of uh, corruption-related things identified by his own land office, okay, in their own official audit. They said he's breaking the law. He's got multiple conflicts of interest that are illegal and must stop his own office, okay? Uh, and this is a guy who was in the election saying uh, you know, uh, that, uh, uh, that Jerry Patterson was, was doing fake news. No, he wasn't. In fact, he was right about everything. Bush is actually misappropriating potentially upwards of millions, okay? Upwards of $40 million that we can't fully account for. And he's paying one of uh, the Alamo CEO, Doug McDonald, He's paying him three separate paychecks from the Texas taxpayers. My friend, that alone is illegal, hugely. <laughs> That's a pretty good job. Like, you can get it, huh? <laughs> I like that. These things, in my, my view, uh, George, are probably what's behind the tearing down of the monument. Because you have to be pretty hard up for a distraction for, with the voters to save your legacy. as a, he's, the, well, he's the descendant of a political dynasty. He's got to think about being president, right? So if I were him, I'd be tearing down the monument, too, rather than get uh, get slapped with fines for all this crap. One of the interesting things that has happened recently here is uh, is uh, the criticism that has been uh, raised towards uh, towards uh, uh, George P. Uh, and uh, the uh, some of the comments, uh, although uh, based on on hearsay, a lot of comments regarding the statue of Santa Ana. And the reaction, what got me was the reaction, the reaction by George P. of using the race card to the defend himself. Card. How low can you go? Uh, my mom's Hispanic, you know, I'm half brown. Uh, I mean, how, how sad. The only way that the race card would ever be valid in this case is if his mother were related to Santa Ana, and that'd be a whole other problem. <laughs> so, all kidding aside, this is not about his race. This has never been about his race, and he knows it. This is about him moving, relocating, as he puts it, uh, relocating a precious, cherished, 80-year-old, 60-foot memorial to the men who gave their lives in 1836 for our liberty. And that's what it's about. It's always been about that. He knows it. So this disingenuous, you know, schoolyard, you know, uh, amateur hour crap that Bush is doing needs to stop. He needs to be held to account for what I prove and document, okay? I'm, I'm not just a guy that throws, throws stuff out there to see what sticks. I can back up what I say. And I, I have to because people sue you for that kind of stuff. That's right. That's right. <laughs> uh, but what I've found, George, is that absolutely... Do I still have you, George? Yeah, yeah, I'm right here. 
I, what I found is that we absolutely have a full ironclad case that Bush or Bush's, Bush's right hand, Doug McDonald, have been misappropriating. I, uh, what's, the, what's the more convenient word? Oh, stealing <laughs> <laughs> millions of dollars and putting or vanishing them into nonprofits that he controls. His own land office has been forced to say that on multiple counts and in multiple areas of our ethics code, Bush is in violation. So what, what, what upsets me about this, uh, finding this out, is that not only is he tearing down our monument, and it wasn't just to white Texicans, there were a bunch of Tejanos that gave their lives. There were Native Americans that were, that were killed. And there, there's a Native American burial ground that's 2,000 years old. It's not just that. It's that he doesn't care about that. Yep. He just cares about, about protecting himself from what else. Even if he didn't do it on purpose, George, let's give him the benefit of the doubt. Let's say that, that George P. is just in over his head and had this guy come in from his granddaddy's you know, uh, milieu, and he started taking advantage, and George P. went, oh, no. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, it's still offensive and wrong to capriciously tear down a monument so that we'll chase that story yeah. instead of the one that, that ends with him in jail. It, it's, very also, it's also very interesting how um, uh, I've heard that people in, in Austin uh, that surround him uh, are start, have started calling him Bush 48 or 43 or whatever it is, the uh, number that he would be? Of course they have, and he probably started that. Yeah. The Bushes are, are shameless self-promoters, and hey, I don't not self-promotion. I understand when you're, uh, when you're a family with a name, that's part of the, the package deal. So he's got a lot of pressure on him, but frankly, I don't care, because he's putting his hands on a monument and, uh, to our dead and on sacred ground. He's putting his hands on that. So I, I don't have as much sympathy as I ordinarily would for someone in that position. Because he doesn't have sympathy for the, the uh, feelings and the demands, really, of a majority of citizens. I mean, when, when Democrats are even with us on this, and when I can get Democrats to cross over, we had a great candidate. I mean, who was running after Patterson. When they even say, no, don't touch the monument, and he still pursues permits to do it. Yeah. I mean, he did, he did it over Christmas, folks, for your listeners. This is a guy who got rejected by the San Antonio Permitting Authority twice <laughs> and then waited until Christmas like Scrooge, you know, bah humbug, to go in and get it done in the dead of night. Yep. Like, what kind of, I mean, of course we're going to be outraged. You know? do, do you think, do you think that we can stop or that the people that care about this situation, can it be stopped uh, can the Bush family uh, legacy, uh, their establishment, I mean, can it be stopped? Yes, it can, and I'll, I'll explain how. And by the way, Lee White, at least Spencer White, who is uh, just an amazing lady, she's leading the charge on this. She's been head of, uh, I mean, she was part of the founding of the Alamo Defenders Descendants Association. Folks. Um, she has uh, really put all of her, her money, her her time, her sweat, her blood, her tears on the line. And what we've done, and what she's done, is we've initiated a lawsuit that has kind of put, put a stay on this temporarily. 
basically. It basically has created delay, but delay is what is what we've got. That's your weapon, folks, and that's what what guys like Dan Patrick want to hear that they're being asked to do. They don't want to hear you're asking them to take on a bush. They want to hear that you've asked them to cause delay. Can we just work out a political solution where it's delayed until he's not in office? You know, this is what the politicians are hoping for. And that's our strategy, is to make it so difficult for Bush to, to match him, which, as we have, at every turn, every bluff he calls, we call it again. He's bluffing, George. He's just seeing if we'll cross the line. Yep. And how appropriate of an analogy, right? But really, I mean, it, it really is. I mean, uh, and, and unfortunately, uh, you know, we cannot let emotions uh, get the better of us uh, on our That's side. Right. We cannot because because once that happens, then uh, you know, then then you know, it, it, the the fodder is there that these are the unwashed, unclean people uh, fighting progress. A little bit. It's it's basically open season. Then if they can do their their plan is this. Uh, you almost have to think of it, folks, like a gang initiation. You don't get to be uh, the successor to the Bush legacy if you don't uh, know how to play rough. Um, with a smile, and I'm confident that this isn't just simply even his own his own idea. I'm confident there are probably powers that be that want Bush to see if he can do this to Texas. Because if he can, folks, then anything is possible <laughs> after this. If they can tear down that monument. Imagine. I mean, this is a veterans memorial, George. <laughs> it's not a Confederate. It's not a Confederate statue. DC and tear down the the one to Vietnam, right? Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> oh, John, tell the folks how they can follow you uh, and how they can uh, read more of your articles. Well, folks, um, you know he's right that I am freelance at present, but I I'm uh, all over conservative media and uh, I'm on RT. I'm on. Fox affiliates a lot, and uh, I'm certainly on shows like this one. But for my articles, just Google my name and see what's uh, see what's new. Got it, buddy. Thank you very much for taking time to be with us once again, my friends. We've been talking with Mr. John Griffin, and uh, we uh, definitely need to get you back on uh, some more as you, uh, as you write more articles, more investigative uh, journalism. <laughs> I'd be I'd be happy to. You have a great show, and thanks for having me on. Thank you. Hello, El Conservador listeners. If you are interested in following George Rodriguez, El Conservador, we invite you to follow him at his internet website, elconservador.net. You can also follow him on Facebook at George Rodriguez, El Conservador, and on Twitter at El Conservador for daily commentaries. You can also purchase his book, El Conservador, Conservative Opinions, online at Amazon.com. The book contains essays and commentaries about illegal immigration, fake news, and race relations. If you are interested in inviting El Conservador to speak to your group or event, please contact him through Facebook or through the station at 930amtheanswer.com. El Conservador thanks you for your support. Keep the fire of freedom burning. Alrighty, folks, we're back. Uh, George Rodriguez, El Conservador, talking to you on KLUP 930 AM Radio, The Answer. And we've got uh, our good friend Art, uh, or should I say, Border Patrol agent, Art Del Cueto, 
He is uh, a good friend of ours in uh, in the Tucson area, and uh, I wanted to reach out to him because there has been there have been uh, there's been one article that we talked about uh, recently here on the show of uh, folks that are encouraging uh, Hispanics to leave ICE and uh, serving in the Border Patrol. And uh, there also was another um, uh, a, a report on Fox News of uh, some Hispanic uh, employees, Hispanic uh, Border Patrol agents, talking about how uh, it was to be uh, uh, a, a, a minority, a Hispanic in the Border Patrol. And uh, given all of the uh, dislike that is really being pushed on uh, on us, I wanted to get Art. Art, welcome to the show. Um, Thank you, George. Thanks for having me. Well, you know, tell us. I mean, I uh, I served back, way back when in the Reagan years when people used to run away from the uh, from the border patrol. But uh, you know, I uh, I never heard and felt the angst, the anger uh, that apparently you guys are are are. are feeling at this point? I mean, attacking the Border Patrol Museum at one occasion, attacking uh, uh, ICE facilities. Uh, tell us, what, what is it like uh, for you as both as an agent and as a, as a, as a Hispanic agent? Well, I mean, first off, uh, I want everyone to know that, I mean, I can speak about these situations, uh, not in my position because of an agent, but obviously because I am uh, the vice president of the National Border Patrol Council. Uh, and I'm the local president of Tucson sector. Uh, it's you know what it's it's like other jobs. Uh, but uh, I've always been in I've been in, in, in law enforcement for man over 20 years now. Uh, I started my career working for the state prison, and I would see true segregation there. And it was segregation from the criminals. So the criminals would segregate themselves within the prison walls. And I think that now. The, the narrative that the media is pushing, it, it saddens me because uh, a lot of the liberal media, they push that same segregation narrative that was pushed by criminals behind, you know, the walls. Uh, so that, that frustrates me because I've, I've been in the patrol uh, for quite some time, and I can tell you that when you are in the trenches, and you know, you know, you've seen it, uh, it doesn't matter whether if, it's, if I have a Hispanic that's coming to help me, uh, you know, Caucasian, African-American, Asian, it's never really mattered. I mean, we're all, uh, you know, brothers under the same roof. We're trying to get the job done. And, and I get asked, I mean, so that's why, I mean, I understand the question. I've been asked several times, oh, well, you know, you're Hispanic. You're arresting your own people. Um, well, you know, would you tell that to a police officer that pulls somebody over for speeding? You know, would, would, you, would you do that to, uh, you know, a police officer that has to arrest you for some crime, you know, in, in the barrio or the inner city. And at the same time, um, I've even asked the illegal aliens that we detain, because they've asked me that question themselves at times, is do you ask that question of the Mexican federales that are, you know, at times being pretty violent when they detain people or some of these Mexican cartels that are violent with the people? or the individuals that, uh, you know, are charging bribes to go through the different parts of the land when Central Americans are coming to Mexico. So it, it, it's a broad question, but I think it's, it's liberal media-driven. Let's create that wedge. Let's, let's go ahead and make that division amongst individuals. 
And, you know, yeah, there's, there's agents that are of Hispanic descent that perhaps have, have left the job and they said, well, you know, this job is not for me. You know, anyone can use race as a cop-out. I myself, I wasn't born in the United States. I was born in Mexico. My parents were immigrants to the United States. I derived citizenship through my parents. And at the end of the day, I have sworn allegiance not to Caucasian Americans, not to Asian Americans, African Americans, or Hispanic Americans. I have sworn allegiance to the United States of America. And that is where my allegiance stands, not to any particular race. Excellent. You know, it, it's very similar to, to uh, the um, police officers, the African-American police officers that I have talked to. Uh, for example, after the, uh, the gunning down of uh, some African-American police officers in Dallas of how Black Lives Matter was screaming about police officers. And it's the same situation, it appears. You know, Black Lives Matter was talking about blacks, but uh, apparently it didn't include blacks in, uni- in police uniforms. Right. Yeah, I mean, and I see it all the time. Living in Tucson, you see a lot of those individuals that are complaining so I've, I've spoken to the, to the Hispanic community out here in Arizona, right? And I get invited to several speaking events. And, uh, you know, one particular one that stands out is I was speaking at the U of A, University of Arizona, and there were several protesters out there, and they were holding up signs saying bendito. And they were holding up signs saying, you know, traicionero, uh, and just, you know, really, uh, they're, they're trying to be offensive and create that divide. And, you know, I've always spoken to them and said, okay, so I'm a sellout. Why? Because I'm upholding the law? Because that's what I'm doing. I'm upholding the law. Uh, I, 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 you know, swore to defend the United States. I swore to defend the Constitution. All enemies, foreign and domestic. That's the oath. It, it does not, you know, distinguish any type of particular race. But I think that's the problem. I think we get to the point where, you know, these people feel empowered. And at the same time, you know, if you're a Caucasian law enforcement officer, they can attack you, call you racist in every name in the book. But since I'm the Hispanic one, what do they have to use? Sellout, vendido, malinchista, and everything else they can think of. Uh, you know, I don't let those words affect me, to be honest. You know, I mean, they, they, ignorant words come from the ignorant people. And, you know, no matter how hard you try to educate them, if they don't want to be educated, they're perfectly comfortable living ignorant lives. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's one of those situations where, where we hear a lot about people who are, suppo- you know, who claim to be, to want the law to be colorblind, but they don't want the, but they're not uh, colorblind themselves. Exactly. That's, that's something that, you know, continuously happens. I, I'm like, but I've heard it all the time. I've heard it all the time where they say, oh, you know, why are you doing this? Well, I'm doing that to protect you, you know, that I'm, doing, I'm upholding the law. I'm not leaning towards one race or other race. And I can tell you from working with, you know, law enforcement and seeing the agents that are out there working every day, none of them, I've never seen any of them say, I'm going to go arrest a particular group of, you know, individuals, or I'm going to particularly go after one, you know, race. That's, that's never been something that I've heard, you know, and, and I've worked with different people from all areas of, of life. Um, in my position within the National Border Patrol Council, I've been very much blessed to, you know, go to different areas throughout the country and visit different sectors, see different individuals and talk to them. Uh, I've been to the White House several times. 
I've spoken to a lot of these politicians that, uh, you know, the liberal media claims to say they're, they're racist to include, you know, President Trump. And I've never been treated in, in any different shape. I've never been differently. I mean, it's obvious that I'm Hispanic, um, you know, and, and I've never had any issues. So, you know, I, I understand, like I said, there's guys that'll leave and I think they're just a cop out. Sometimes you can't, sometimes you don't cut it. You know what I mean? That's what it comes down to. Yep. And unfortunately, a lot of those individuals that don't cut it, they want to save face. You know, your ego gets involved and you say, well, I can't say I wasn't good enough to be a border patrol agent. I can't say, you know, I didn't cut, cut it for the job. So what can I do? I know I'll turn around and use, you know, race as an example or even, you know, different areas that they can use. They find that particular crutch that they know certain members of the media are going to go ahead and, you know, eat it up. And they'll use that in order to, you know, make excuses for their own deficiencies, perhaps. You're right. You're right. Let me ask you uh, just in the last uh, couple of minutes here. Um, how is the situation looking? We keep hearing that uh, that there's been an uptick in activity, particularly in the Tucson sector, of uh, of folks coming across the border. How is well, it? There's, there's definitely an uptick. I think when you see the news, the numbers have gone down throughout the entire country. So as a whole, the numbers have gone down. Um, unfortunately, in the Tucson sector, it's always been uh, a different animal, a different beast, that you, know, you see the numbers go up particularly a lot within the drug, but the drugs have always been a big issue in Tucson sector. Uh, obviously on the south end, we have the Sinaloa cartel that controls a lot of that area. And we have something that we always deal with in the Tucson sector, which is the Tohono O'odham Reservation. And you're, when you see the reservation, the Native American reservation, you're dealing with right around 60, over, a little bit over 60 linear miles where, with Mexico, where there's a lot more lawlessness than everywhere else, and it's, I think it, there's a lot more political pressure to avoid putting uh, a true good barrier that defends our nation's borders, and that's always been an issue out here. Wow. Art, thank you very much for taking time to be with us. I certainly appreciate it, and um, please stay safe. Tell your folks, tell your uh, agents how much we appreciate it, and tell them to be safe as well. No, thank you so much. As always, you know, you, you have me on your show and you give the agents a voice, and to me that's what's important, that the American public is able to hear the voice of the agents because, unfortunately, even to this day, I think we have a lot of managers in high-ranking positions that uh, fail to do that. You know, they're pretty comfortable with the cookie-cutter dog and pony show, and the agents' voices must be heard. Got it, buddy. Once again, George Rodriguez on, the, on, a, on KLUP 930 AM radio. We've been talking with our good friend, uh, Border Border Patrol agent and union leader uh, Art Belquetto. Thank you, Art.